Thanks, Kevin and team. Our kids can head back to be with our team of workers in Transformation Station. They're going to have an awesome morning this week. We should pray for them as they head back. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 4 this morning, starting in verse 2. And uh, I'd like to add to John's welcome, just another welcome to you. If you're new to Redemption Hill, let me uh, be one of the first to welcome you to to our gathering here this morning. My name is Tanner. I serve as one of our pastors here. And uh, we would love for you, if you are new, just to take a couple of moments to fill out the connect card down at the bottom of the worship guide that you received when you walked in. And uh, if you are, you know, very technologically savvy, you want to jump on your smartphone, you can go to rhc.church forward slash cc, and you can fill that out there as well. We would love to have the opportunity to get to know you, to pray for you this week, and to send you a little thank you for uh, joining us. Well, uh, we are near the end of our series, Jesus' People, through the book of Philippians. And this passage this morning took me back to an experience that I had in graduate school. Uh, Perhaps some of you can identify with this experience or something similar to it, okay? So it was my first semester of doctoral studies, and uh, I bit off more than I should have tried to chew during that first semester. So uh, rather than taking two seminars, um, I thought, you know, hey, I'm ready to roll. I'm, I think I can do this. I, you know, I asked a couple of friends for some wisdom. So I went ahead and took three seminars, right? Integrative seminar, uh, the history of preaching. Believe it or not, they have seminars about that. Um, and also hermeneutics, which is the art and science of interpreting the Bible. So uh, little did I know that in retrospect, I can look back at six semesters of coursework and see that my first semester in reality was the most labor intensive of them all. In fact, in eight weeks, I had already produced 180 pages of written work. All right, this is coming from a guy that like before college, I don't know if I'd read 880 pages of a book, you know what I'm saying? So like to, to produce that much work in that short of time, not to mention I'm working full time, I'm serving in my church, and I'm trying to be a decent husband to the woman that I've been married to for about three months. Okay, so it was just like, it was, it was treading water, um, and that was like the best I could do. Well, well, that led up to the moment of giving my first presentation in hermeneutics, which was taught by, uh, the seminar was led by a world-renowned scholar by the name of Andreas Kustenberg, all right? So um, Dr. K was no slouch in the seminar, all right? So he had high expectations, and I was assigned a book to present on that at the time uh, was very difficult to digest. I mean, anybody ever had this experience? In fact, I I feel like the book digested me, you know, like I was supposed to own the book and understand the book, and, and I feel like it just kind of chewed me up and spit me out. Um, so, so anyway, you can imagine that going into that presentation, 
I was incredibly anxious. I don't know if it was because I was afraid of maybe being exposed as not being able to cut it in the seminar. I don't know if it was because I was afraid that I wouldn't do well enough and maybe there would be consequences for my performance there in the presentation that I wouldn't pass the seminar. Or I don't know if it was, man, I've put a whole lot of work in these eight weeks, not to mention this book that I've spent hours trying to understand and to be ready to present. It was, it was probably all of the above and then some, right? And so this, this reality of anxiety can grip us in a moment's notice. Have you ever felt like this in your life? Anxiety is an emotion produced by future fear, and as you know, opportunities for anxiety are boundless. Health concerns, relationships, financial responsibilities, decisions that loom on the horizon, tests we have to take, flights we are supposed to to take. Parenting, snowstorms in March, anyone? Whether anxiety is an occasional challenge for you or if it's an ongoing battle that feels like a crushing weight in your life, what we're going to see is that Paul has some really great instructions for how we can navigate the anxieties in our lives and experience God's peace for us. One of my friends who serves as a psychiatrist, he fed me some information this week. He said that in general psychiatric outpatient practice, anxiety disorders make up 40% of new referrals. And among mental disorders, anxiety disorders are the most prevalent conditions in any age category that you can find. We all experience anxiety in our life, right? And so if if that is true, I would say we all are looking for solutions, and I believe God gives us some great solutions here in Philippians chapter 4. What we're going to see as we read through this passage is this. Without the peace of God, there is no peace within. All right? Without the peace of God, there is no peace within. So what I want to do is read these verses, verses 2 through 9. And as you're going to see, there are this, these, these verses are really a series of exhortations, and, and it's almost like, is there a thread that's woven through? And I definitely believe there is, and I think that is this thread of peace that we can experience amidst life's varying circumstances. So let's read these verses together. It says this, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have heard and learned and received and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What I want to attempt to do this morning is present three truths that will help us alleviate anxiety in our lives and possess the peace that God wants to give us. And so I want to give you three truths this morning as we work our way through this text, okay? That God desires our peace, that God gives peace, and finally, that God is our peace. So number one, let's think about how God desires our peace. We see this in the first couple of verses, all right? Paul lays out a scenario where you have peace that is absent between two people. So the first thing we see here in terms of God desiring our peace is that God desires our peace with and for one another. You see, unity, if you you go back and read through the book of Philippians, what you're going to see is that unity has been a dominant theme for Paul as he's writing to these people who lived in the ancient city of Philippi. He said in chapter 1, hey, I want you to have one spirit and one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Unity was a supreme value of Paul, and he knew how elusive it could be at times in the life of a group of people, even in the life of a group of people known as God's people, the church. And so what Paul does is he goes ahead and he says, look, there is a specific need. It's been brought to my attention. And so these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, I want them to agree. I want them to have a common mind. Paul knew that these two women were not, I mean, they weren't bad people, okay? They weren't like, it's not like they didn't care about God or they didn't care about other people. In fact, he says that they were servant leaders in the church, but... Clearly, they were not on the same page. And so Paul is like, hey, this is serious business. We need to attend to this. So I am going to entreat them. I am going to urge them. I am going to plead with them to agree in the Lord. He understands that relational disharmony can be destructive, not only to them as two individuals, but to the church as a whole. And so Paul puts this in his letter. I mean, can, can you imagine? Just put yourself in Yodi's and Syntyche's you know, shoes for just a moment, okay? Uh, this letter is being read to this group of people gathered in Philippi, and all of a the sudden they hear their name from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And this is like, this is not an awesome moment for them, right? It's like they're not, they're not being praised. Like, hey, they did an awesome job serving with me all, the, all those weeks and months, okay? This is like, hey, there is something wrong going on, and, and they need to come together. What began as a personal spat has now become internationally known. Which, which really reminds us that when we have a personal conflict with someone, oftentimes we think, hey, we're the only two that... But, but usually... Usually other people have picked up on that. 
And so a couple of things that we see here from this, these verses, okay, number one, no one is immune to this, right? I mean, I mean, these are, these are two women that, that Paul says, look, they, they have served with me in the church. They have, they have labored side by side with me as I have sought to tell people about Jesus. Their names, I love how Paul puts it in verse 3, their names are written in the book of life. God has recorded their names in his book. Their eternal security is, is, is secure because they knew Jesus and they uh, loved him and had been changed by him. And so we need to remember that none of us are above this. But so then we ask, how, how could they come to an agreement? What would bring them together? And so Paul calls in a mediator who he refers to as true companion. We, we don't know who this true companion was. It could have been Epaphroditus who carried the letter back. It could have been Timothy who was going to travel there to Philippi. It could have just been a reference to the church as a whole. We're not sure, but what we know is that Paul wanted this true companion to bring these women together. And so wouldn't you agree that sometimes when we bring a conflict to light, that that can be the first step in resolving the issue? I mean, just step back and think about it. If, if the conflict that you had experienced or are currently experiencing with a friend, with a roommate, with a spouse, if, if that was just kind of brought to light this morning, like, would you be more motivated to, to work it out? Well, then what are we waiting for? But beyond that, it's, it's even more helpful when not only it's brought to light, but there is someone that can come in and help us navigate the issues at hand. Someone that is seeking the good of both parties. Someone that is not about taking sides, like, hey, you're right, no, you're right. No, like they're about taking God's side and bringing these two people back into a right relationship with one another. That's the goal. That's what Paul is after here. And so we need this because why? Oftentimes when we're in the, the heat of the moment, we just, we just naturally assume what? I'm right. I, I'm right. They're wrong. I'm justified in my position. They are not justified in their position. And we fail to recognize that there is a 98% chance that we are not 100% right. Caught that. 98% chance that we're not 100% right. So like, in other words, we all need change. Nobody is bringing perfection to the table in a relationship. And so we need people to help us work through our challenges. It's not about, let me just say this, if you're in a conflict right now, you will, you will resolve that conflict faster when you say it's not about me being right. It's, it's not about me being like, I don't have to be right, they can be right. Or even if I'm right, it's not about that even being acknowledged that I am right because what's more important is that we're right, not that I'm right. And so I would just say, listen, if, if you're experiencing a conflict, of any kind with anyone, friend, spouse, loved one, roommate, family member, why wait to seek resolution? 
go to that person. Seek to, seek to work it out. If you can't work it out, then share with a trusted friend and have them help you. Like, like this true companion helped Euodia and Synthike, we, we, we hope happened here in Philippi. Like, have someone help you work it out together. One, one question that, that, a, that a pastor asked in, in, in this, this, this passage was this. I think it's so, so important to a- answer this question, all right? Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of this church? Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of this church? Everyone should be saying, absolutely, right? Like, none of us are above this or beyond this. But at the same time, we should all see ourselves as potential catalysts toward the unity of this church, right? As we seek to press in deeper relationally, as we seek to care for one another and walk together and work out our differences. You know, we're not going to see eye to eye on every little detail of life and, and, and what happens in the life of a church, but we can be in agreement. We can be unified as we push forward with the life that God has called us to. So Paul wants there to be peace between people. That's what God wants, but then God also desires peace within ourselves. Verse 6, starting at the beginning of verse 6, he continues on and he says this, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety happens when there is the potential for unmet desires. Okay, think about that. We get anxious when we fear the consequences of unmet desires that may loom ahead. So anxiety is very future-oriented. Biblical counselor Ed Welch, he has a great book on the topic. Um, It's called Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. He says this, worriers are visionaries minus the optimism, all right? Worriers are visionaries minus the options. This is a future orientation. We're always consumed with what's ahead and how it may not work out like we want it to. And as I'm sure you've experienced in your life, anxiety can surface in any situation. If, like, take money, for example, okay? Those who are not as wealthy are often anxious about gathering more money, but, and we, we would assume like the, the, the rich, like, man, they're all set. They don't, they're, they're not anxious about money. They have all the money in the world. No, they're anxious about losing their money. The same is true for, for, for the reality of freedom and oppression. For someone that's oppressed, they're anxious about how to gain their freedom, right? But for someone who is free, Welch goes on to say this. He says, with freedom comes more choices, which means more opportunities to get it wrong. Perhaps this is why we're so anxious in our culture. We live in a very free culture. We live in a society where we can choose a thousand different majors or we can, you know, go a thousand different routes. And, and so with the, that freedom comes anxiety in our souls. It's perhaps why Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, said that 
Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. All of the choices that loom ahead and, and, and are before us, and we want to get it right. We want to make sure that we are locked in on the right path. And so what, is, what does anxiety feel like? Anxiety can feel like a war within our soul, right? It can feel like this tor- turmoil within where we are being tossed about this way and, and that way. It can be like driving down the interstate yesterday with a 53-mile-per-hour wind and our car just being rocked back and forth by those wind gusts. Anxiety knocks us off balance. And the Bible says that anxiety can feel like a weight in our soul. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart. A passing anxious thought, it can trip us up a little bit, but but an ongoing anxiety can absolutely crush us. And so let me just ask you this morning, what what are you anxious about? What is is consuming your thoughts? What What is raising the level of anxiety in your soul that is causing you to to walk around with a weight or a burden that you can't seem? To shake. Let me ask you another question. What is your anxiety saying about you? See, there's a there's a there's a, there's a correlation between what we're anxious about and what our heart gravitates toward in such a way that, check this out, we can actually elevate to a more prominent position than we are elevating God in our hearts. So, so, so what we value, relationships and financial security and, and jobs and success and performance and approval and comfort, all of these Good things can become God things. And so if you want to know maybe what you're leaning into and trusting in more than you're trusting in God or you're elevating as worshiping more than you're worshiping God, just look at what you're anxious about. Anxiety says something about our hearts. It speaks to what God wants to do in terms of bringing us back to the, the true worship of him, of trusting him no matter what is going on in our lives. God desires our peace. And so here's the good news. No matter how many times we've experienced conflict with others, no matter how many times we've forfeited the peace that could have been ours because we allow those anxious thoughts to linger, listen, God desires not only our peace, but God actually then gives us peace. And that's what we see as we continue reading verses 6 and 7, okay? What does it say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace can often feel so elusive and fleeting in our life, right? We can can go through life and feel like we're in a kind of consistent state of disequilibrium. We just don't feel like things are, are working out. There's not that inner calm in 
our souls that we so desperately desire. And so the question is, well, then how can we have that peace that we long for? And today, our culture would, would have a lot of different answers for that, like, right, like uh, go, go, go get some therapy, um, make sure you take your, your pills uh, for that, um, maybe start working out more. Um, how about a glass of wine at night just to kind of calm you down? Maybe that's the solution. The power of positive thinking, stronger willpower, and listen, it's, it's not that there is not a place for some of these other helps that can, can be a, an, an assistance to us as we're journeying through what is making us anxious. But those solutions are not the ultimate solution. The, the, those answers are not going to ultimately alleviate us from our anxiety. No, it is what Paul says, this different solution, and it is the solution of prayer. How do, we, how do we get freedom for anxiety? We get freedom by going to God in prayer. Isn't that what he says in verse 6? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, with thanksgiving, and supplication, there's prayer again, let your request, there's prayer again, be made known to God. So Paul says, look, the solution for anxiety is prayer, prayer, and more prayer, okay? It's like, a, it's like a, a triple-decker home around New England, right? It's like three levels, boom, boom, boom. You need prayer, you need prayer, and you need more prayer. And this is so important for us to grasp. Prayer goes to God. Prayer believes God is greater than our greatest problem. And so what we learn here, I love this, okay? What we learn is that anxiety is cured by addition, not subtraction. All right, I really want you to learn this there. I want you to walk away with this, okay? Anxiety is cured by addition, not subtraction. Here's what's going on. Just, just the mental math that, that, that we kind of compute as we're going through difficulty is this. is like, God, if you would just take away these circumstances, okay, if I could just find a way to fix this problem where these circumstances can be removed, then I am going to experience peace. But there are two major problems with that, okay? Number one, we will always have trouble in this world. Like Jesus said it, John 16, 13, right? Jesus knows his stuff, right? And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's always going to be something to be anxious about. There's always going to be something to be worried about. There's always going to be some future fear on the horizon. In many respects, it's the, the natural consequence of, of loving and caring about uh, the people around us and the circumstances around us. It's part of the the fabric of our fallen world. And so, so it can't be just the subtraction of our, of our circumstances, uh, but then also Paul says, look, more importantly, it's not the subtraction of these circumstantial pressures, but it's the addition of a trustworthy God. You see, what, what happens when we pray is that we bring God into the equation, Prayer brings God into the equation. Ed Welch, in his book, once again says this, there is an entire worldview implicit in some worry. It cries out about an ultimate aloneness. There is no one who can really help, no one who can rescue, no one who is really looking out for you. 
You are an orphan in a chaotic universe that operates according to chance. Who wouldn't be worried given such a view of reality? But we know, right? We know that God is and that God cares for us. Anxiety is cured by addition, not by subtraction. It's why when Jesus taught us to pray, check this out. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray how? Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will is. So the first two words of this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray are the, are the solution for the anxieties that we face. Because we're bringing God into our situation. We're bringing God into the equation. When we begin to pray, our Father, anxiety should be on the run as far as God is concerned, as far as we should be concerned. In prayer, we reset our thoughts and affections. In prayer, we remember the promises of God, right? Like that God is not disconnected. This universe is not chaotic, all right? But that God is near, that God cares. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. Isaiah 43. We remember that God is a God who sent his son into the world to carry our sorrows and to experience the suffering that we deserve. This is the kind of God we have in the Bible. Anxiety can be cured by addition, not by subtraction. And so Paul continues and says, look, this is then how you should pray, all right? You should pray first by presenting requests. Okay, this is what the word supplication means. It means presenting requests to God. It means going to God and saying, hey, God, look, I need some help here. I've got some things going on and, and it's not working out so well for me and these circumstances are, are, are happening. And, and, and listen, listen to this. If it matters to you, it matters to God. I mean, there, were, there was a time in my life I was like, man, I shouldn't pray about that. Why, why would I pray about this? This is, this is such a trivial matter. But, but no, if, if it matters to you, it matters to God. So we should go to God with anything that is happening in our lives. There is no request that is too small or too great. At the hint of any anxiety, we should, boom, pray, our Father. Father, help. Father, heal. Father, change hearts, including this anxious heart, right? God is present. He wants to enter into our anxiety and our trial. And so the antithesis of anxiety is faith, right? Faith trusts that God will figure it out. Faith says, look, he is going to take care of me even if my circumstances don't change, all right? Like God is with me and he will see me through. These are the promises we have in Scripture. So we, we pray by presenting requests, but we also pray with thanksgiving. One pastor says that prayer is, I like this, all right, prayer is worries kryptonite. All right, so like when we pray, we may, you catch that, all right? You caught that? All right, so it's like prayer makes worry suffer. When we pray with thanksgiving, then it, 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 it does so all the more, right? 
Because when we're thankful, like what is, what is gratitude? Gratitude is saying, look, I have received something here that, that, that I don't really even deserve. It's recognizing that we have received something at the graciousness of someone else. And so the fact that God hears us, that's grace. We should be thankful for that. But then the fact that God hears us and he cares about us and he wants to walk with us through these anxieties that we face, that should make us all the more grateful. And so when we go to God and we pray, it's what Karl Barth said. He says, to begin by praising God, to begin by thanking God for the fact that in this situation as it is, he is so mightily God. Such a beginning is the end of anxiety. So we present our request to God. We, we pray with grateful hearts, knowing that God is and that he cares and that he's going to walk with us through these moments. And then when we bring God into the equation through prayer, then God brings us his peace. Look at back at verse 7. It says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the only time in the New Testament that we have this phrase, the peace of God. The peace of God will will guard our hearts and minds. It's a military term that refers to a city that is completely surrounded by an army that is there for one reason and one reason only, to protect that city from any oncoming opposition. So, So in other words, like nothing gets through. That that's what happens when we pray, right? God guards us. God God guards our our hearts and our minds in such a way that nothing is able to knock us off course. Nothing is able to shake us. I think this is why the Bible consistently says, like, God is our rock. God is our fortress. God is our refuge. God will guard us when we come to him in prayer. And and, and then Paul describes this peace of God as a kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. It's an unexplainable peace. Literally, if you you tease it out in the Greek, it is a peace that rises above every mind. Like it's, it's, we can't even begin to understand it. It's higher than us. We couldn't, we we can't even put it into words because we can't even understand it ourselves, Right? But what I love, and I've seen this in some of you that are going through very difficult times right now in our church, whether it's, it's, it's job difficulty, your relationship difficulty, your family members with, with health crises, all right, you were experiencing the peace of God in such a way that if people knew what you were going through and they see how you're walking through that, they should come up to you and say, look, I do not understand how you were able to face these anxieties and have such a great attitude and be so calm and so peaceful in the midst of what you're facing. Isn't it beautiful that when we trust God, when we go to God in prayer, that He can use even something as simple as depending on him and praying in the midst of anxiety as a witness to those who don't yet know him. This is the practicalities of the gospel. Like Because God is this good and because God does these things in our lives, 
that other people can see that and say, what is going, if I were walking through that situation, there is no way, there is absolutely no way that I would have that kind of peace. And we're just saying like, hey, look, I, like, God is doing this in my life. This is the peace that is coming from God. It's not coming from me, but I am depending on God and he is producing this in my life. God gives us his peace, and, and the results are so, so strong. Um, we could back up to verses 4 and 5 and see that when, when we are experiencing harmonious relationships and peace with people, and when we have this peace within, it is going to position us to be accomplishing what verse 4 says when it says, rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. I mean, this is, this is a, 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 an idea that Paul would have had in terms of a, a public celebration, a victory ceremony, that, that we can rejoice like that, that we can celebrate consistently because of what God has done. And then also we can experience peaceable interactions with others through reasonableness or gentleness, as it says in verse 5. He says, uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. God desires our peace. God gives us his peace. And finally, God is our peace. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Just as dwelling on anxious thoughts can eat away at our soul, so dwelling on godly thoughts, thoughts that are from God, thoughts that remind us of, of who God is and what God desires for us, those thoughts can feed our souls. And so this is what Paul is getting at here. When he says, think about these things, he means to drill down on them, to think deeply, to consider carefully, to meditate on them. Meditation on what is true is, is the opposite extreme of worry or anxiety, right? When we're, when we're worried or we're anxious, we're thinking about things that, that don't even exist yet. They're just possibilities out there. But when we, we think about, uh, when we meditate, we are thinking on that which is true, which God has revealed in his word. And so I would just say, take these terms, true, right, honorable, praiseworthy, excellent. Take that list and then evaluate your life this week and just see, like, are my conversations helping me think on these things? Is, is what I'm watching on television helping me dwell on these things? What I listen to on the radio and podcasts or what I'm reading in the news, uh, are, are they helping me think on these things? Or... Is it the opposite? Is, is it things that are false, dishonorable, unjust, impure, unlovely, shameful, disgraceful, or worthless? 
Because Paul's saying, look, look, don't go there. Don't dwell on those things. No, think on the things of God that are going to feed your soul and help you move forward in him. And, 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 the, and why, is, why is Paul going here to kind of end the encouragements for his letter? It's because of this. Paul understands that our thoughts form the building blocks of that which become our actions. So, so in other words, like God cares about our thoughts, right? So like we want to have thoughts that honor God, but God also cares about how those thoughts then move into our hearts and change what we want and what we love. Okay, those are often called affections. So it moves from our thoughts to our affections, then to our actions, how we're living on a daily basis. And so Paul says, look, if, if God can own your mind, if you have the mind of Christ to quote, Philippians 2.5, then what's going to happen is you are going to live in such a way that is consistent with those thoughts. This is what Paul is after here. And so let me just ask you as we, we move to finish up our time in God's Word today, do, do you feel the weight of these words? Do you feel... The, the gravity of what Paul has said to us here. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I feel like these, these encouragements, these exhortations, you could call them commands, like, hey, we should live in this kind of way. I feel like these commands are impossible. Whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is anything excellent, praise like, like, so like, I'm supposed to go after that with my life? And I'm supposed to, like, as I see those put into practice in the life of others, that I'm supposed to imitate that and put that into practice myself. Like, that feels pretty impossible, Paul. Agree in the Lord, like, come together and experience harmony. Like, that feels impossible. Rejoice always. Don't be anxious about anything. It all feels quite impossible to me. But that's why Paul is going to say, when you agree, it has to be agree in the Lord. When you rejoice, it's what? Rejoice in the Lord. When you're not anxious, uh, it's because you're praying to God in everything. You're going to him in everything. All of this is coming because God is enabling us to live in such a way that we can experience the alleviation of our anxieties to possess his peace in our lives. And so as we, as we wrap up our time, I just want to say this. Listen, um, we can experience this unshakable and unexplainable peace because we know the God of peace. Augustine said this in his confessions, I believe. He said, God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And so because God is God, because God never changes, because God is unshakable, when we are found in him, when we have his peace, we too are unshakable. And we can move forward with the peace that he longs to give us. So I would just ask you today, do you know God in this way? Have you experienced the peace of God in your life? Because God wants you to experience his peace. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore we, having been justified by faith, experience peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you have never stepped into the life of Christ, 
and you've never said, look, God, I know that I am made to live for you, to love you, but I haven't done that very well with my life. And so I need to return to you and experience your peace, this peace of a relationship with you again. If you've never done that, you can do that today. But for all of us, no matter where we are, if we want to experience this kind of peace that God desires to give us, a peace that surpasses understanding, we go to him again and again and again because only in God is found the peace that is unshakable and can never be moved. And so I hope that you will go to God. I hope that you will pray that others will go to God. I hope that you will encourage one another throughout the week to continue to take these matters that weigh us down and take them to God in prayer that we would experience his peace, his best for us. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have loved us and have given us your son that we might experience your peace in our lives. And so God, we ask that you would help us to bring you into the equation, that, that, that no matter what we're facing, that we would cry out to you and that you would flood our souls with a peace that cannot be explained. And God, may that kind of peace then move us to a greater worship of you and, and a greater witness that would say to other people, hey, I don't know what's going on with them, but there is something that I cannot explain and that that would give us the opportunity to point others to the peace that we have experienced through Jesus Christ. God, would you do that in us and through us all for your glory? We pray in the name of Jesus, amen.